the idea that I could regret not doing it and not know far outweighed the idea of like, what if I lose? And I would, and it was from that point on that like, it's been such an integral part of like every move I make, which is I'd rather lose and I'd rather know how I lost, why I lost, rather than always just wondering what if. On this week's episode, we decide to phone a friend. He's one of my oldest buddies that I've known for 20 years, and we chat about his new book titled Fear, Regret, Not Failure, and he tells us how to embrace the suck. Ooh, sounds kinky. We also get into how he made his transition from personal trainer to opening some of the best health clubs in the Los Angeles area and how he couldn't do it alone. He also tells us why he hates the word community and how to deal with grief in the workplace. It's always a pleasure to get our friends to open up and get vulnerable. We try to make that boy cry, but he ain't got no feelings. It's weird. All right, let's go, baby. We'll get uh, we'll get this rolling. Okay, episode 25 of This One's On Us. Wow, I can't believe we're in uh, 25 episodes. 25 hours of listening to Isabel and Pedro talk. Who would sign up for that? Um Cool. So uh, this week we have a very special guest. Um, it's one of my one of my best friends. Uh, we go back all the way to our high school days, which is well over 20 years, um, which is also crazy. Um, one of my good buddies, Tony Velasco, um, I asked him to come on because he's just got a really great um, story. Um, one of the best entrepreneurs out there, one of the best motivators, um, one of the most fit, you know, fittest guys I know with the biggest titties, um, which I'm always jealous about. And um, he actually um, is coming out with a new book that he wrote uh, called uh, Fear, Regret, Not Failure, which we'll get into. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of dig in. Uh, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pedro uh, and Isabel for, for having me. Uh, it's an honor. And yeah, I'm excited to get into everything we're talking about. Uh, I, you know, not an uh, author by, by craft. It was something that I kind of wanted to challenge myself with. So I'm excited about that. And own a couple of health clubs in the Los Angeles area and just excited to share my story. So, yeah. Cool. Well, um, so just a little background. So Tony, um, him and I, when we were in high school, we were, you know, we enjoyed drinking and we loved to party. And um, <laughs> one thing that um, I was very impressed with with Tony is um, when we got out of college, he started um, his own personal training business. And then after a while, um, he ended up uh, coming up with the great idea of launching his own gyms and he was able to uh, quicker than I was find a balance between his you know partying stage and his you know prof focusing on his prof professional career um, Tony I what I'd love to kind of talk about first off is um, that moment that you realized that you wanted to transition from kind of this freelance you know personal trainer into transitioning that into a, you know, very successful um, gym business. I've thought about this a lot and it's something I talk about in my book and it's because it's not, a, a, there's not a single instance in time where I, you know, I came to this realization. It was, you know, something that over time, it was something that I realized I wanted to do. I mean, the long and the short of it was, I was somewhat successful as a, as a personal trainer and I was watching my income grow year over year as I added more clients to my roster and uh, I, I, it was literally the year where that income growth stopped. And the reason it stopped was primarily because I couldn't add any more hours into my day, right? Like I, I, I was as, as booked as you could be. And so I had two options. It was A, 
build a business because that would be the only way that I could then leverage and scale up or two, like move to somewhere besides Santa Clarita where people had more money to pay per hour for whatever session, right? Uh, And the latter didn't seem like a reasonable option. I'd always been interested in finance and business and numbers and that. Uh, And so going the business route was the logical decision. Um, And so that was the route I started to really kind of dive into, focus on, learn about, et cetera, uh, and had saved up a decent chunk of money over, you know, a course of three years or whatever it was. And it came to that point where it was like, all right, you know, know, it's time to throw my nuts on the table, so to speak. And that was probably one of the scariest, like, I don't know, six month spans because it was, do I want to do it? Can I do it? What happens if I fail? What happens if I lose? You know what I mean? I'm going to lose all this money that I've saved up. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a battle a lot of people deal with for different reasons, whether it's business or otherwise, right? Like some sort of fear of failure, rejection, whatever, right? It's the whole premise of the book. And I'm driving home one day and I wish I knew it wasn't anything special. Nothing happened that day. Uh, But after like contemplating this stuff for, you know, three to six months, I'm driving home one day and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it was just that the concept of the book, it was that I realized as I was driving home that I would be way more pissed off at myself if 20, 30, 40 years, if I didn't do it and that. 20, 30, 40 years from now, I was, I would wonder what if, what if I had tried it? What if I had done it? And it was that realization that the, that the idea that I could regret not doing it and not know far outweighed the idea of like, what if I lose? And I would, and it was from that point on that, like, it's been such an integral part of like every move I make, which is I'd rather lose and I'd rather know how I lost, why I lost, rather than always just wondering what if. And so that that's that's the crux of everything, basically. I feel like that's always like the point that it's that crossroad, right? Where people are like, do I take the jump or do I just, you know, you know, get I'm stay in my comfort zone? And that's like been I know that's always been like an issue with me is like taking that jump. And um, that's something that, you know, Isabel and I have talked about many times, just even starting this podcast, like, do we even do it? Um, and I, I think you know, it definitely takes balls to to take that that leap. Um, you know, as, as people, you know, start their businesses, there's always kind of these ups and downs. And I'm curious if, if there's any any stories you can kind of share from like early on. And like there's so much that goes into building that type of gym that you have. Um, what were some of the biggest like challenges that, that you were over that you had to like get over just to like have the doors open for business? The one of the biggest things that I had to do was look in the mirror as a fitness professional, right? Someone who had, you know, was a trainer and who, you know, was uh, invested in, you know, sound training protocols, uh, the science of training, things like that, right? Like what actually works. And, and I think this is the mistake that most trainers make, to be honest. Uh, for, for any trainers that end up trying to start their business, I think this is the biggest trap that they fall into. And they let their own ego of what is the best uh, protocol for training outweigh what the customer wants, what the consumer wants. And you ultimately have to, they are the, uh, the judge and jury of everything, 
right? They're 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 the voters because they vote with their with their dollars, and if they don't like what you're doing, they leave and they vote you out of office. Um, and one of our classes was a, a type like a, like a inter, like a high intensity interval training style class, and so I had to understand that like, you know, if you have a group of moms that are all coming in and they're just coming in there because their fitness goals are just, you know what, they're just trying to, you know what I mean, get through the day. They got to go home. They got a bunch of crazy kids at home that they have to, you know, feed and keep alive. And you got they got work, you know what I mean? Like th- their vision of what they're trying to accomplish is entirely different than somebody else's. And if you like, if you were to do a program that's like, has like, for example, like 40 seconds of rest and 20 seconds of work, like you have half the women in the room saying, uh, okay, I'm bored. Like, let's get this thing moving kind of a thing. And you have to say like, all right, like it's not about me. It's about them. And I think in the very beginning, being okay with creating programs that weren't like as perfect from like a science training standpoint, but that were that that hit all the marks for the people that were actually going to come in and buy memberships. It's, it's doing stuff like that. Number one, that was, I mean, it wasn't that difficult for me, but it was something that I had to learn really quickly because you can't be stubborn. Uh, and I think too many people are stubborn and set in their ways and they want to do it their way for them. And you're, it's not, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the client and the member that's walking through the door. Um, that was that. And, you know, a part of that process is figuring out the business stuff because I didn't come from a business background. I didn't go to school for business or entrepreneurship uh, or even finance, which I was super into. I went to it for <laughs> sociology, like, because I didn't know what the hell else to do, right? You know, I remember, I don't know, probably, probably about a couple years in. I mean, it was looking at the, looking at the bank account and not knowing if it was going to make it n- this month or next month. Um, so yeah, I mean, there were definitely some dire times uh, in the beginning and trying to figure it all out. But you just, I don't know, I just put my head down and I went home and I studied, you know, for an additional six hours after I got home on what I was doing right or wrong and wasn't stubborn about, you know, sticking to what I was doing and just was like fluid to being able to to learn and adapt to how it was coming at me. So That's such a good point about like having to kind of take yourself out of the equation because on the one hand, it takes so much trust in yourself to like take this leap and become an entrepreneur and like follow your gut and then to kind of have to be like, okay, well now I have to take myself out of it. And really like, if Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a successful business, I have to think about, you know, the audience or the customer. Um, I guess I, I picture myself, I would love to be an entrepreneur someday. So I I have never really thought about that kind of juxtaposition. It's really interesting to hear. So Tony, I know, um, you mentioned college and what you studied. And I I know one thing that I I visited you one time in Arizona, Tony, you went to um, university of Arizona, which is, I feel like any school in Arizona is a big party school. And, um, right. I know one thing that I, I've like been impressed with with you was your ability to like make this transition um, from, you know, I mean, I hate to call you a party boy because that sounds like so basic and like such like a fuckboy term. But like, I think it's safe to say that like myself, you, Isabel as well, like we have a background of like we love to like entertain people. We love to party. We love being very social. 
And I know one thing that I like saw from you when you came back from, you know, Arizona, you had this like immediate focus, it felt like where like a lot of us and like granted, like you were still going out, you were still having fun. But I feel like you out of all of our friends were able to kind of zero in and, and, and like find that focus a lot earlier than a lot of probably our other friends. And, you know, realize like I have these goals, you know, financially and spiritually, I'm sure. And just you had goals in many different, you know, aspects. Um, what was it for you that helped you kind of like turn that switch on? Because I feel like, I mean, I'm 40 right now. And I feel like over this past year is when I've finally, finally, since I once I stopped drinking, like realized like, wow, I need to make some like significant changes in my life to hit these life goals um, what was it for you to like, like, what was it about that? Like helped you kind of flip that switch of like, Hey, I need to focus because these are the things I, these are the goals I want to hit in my life. I, first of all, again, I, I think it's fluid. It's not like I was able to just one day be like, come home from college after drinking my face off for, you know, four years <laughs> and just be like, okay, it's, it's over. And now I'm just going to just go straight edge and, you know, just focus on business. It was definitely a, a process of, Still going out, um, but having the, um, I don't know, the gut check when my alarm still went off at five in the morning, right, to not call in, right, to still get up and go and do the thing. Um, but honestly, you know what I think it is? Um, and this gets to, I think, the heart of probably what a lot of what we're going to talk about is, is I credit a lot to Allison. Um I credit it a lot to, um, A, she's been an amazing piece. Like, I don't think I would be where I am today. A Allison, Allison is um, Tony's beautiful wife, by oh, the yeah. way. An intelligent, beautiful wife. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, forgiving, no, I, I, very I mean, forgiving, beautiful wife. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was a, uh, that was a mandatory quality for finding a guy like me. Um, not only does she give me perspective that I – otherwise wouldn't have. Right. Um, I, I think, uh, I heard, do you guys know who Alex Ramosi is? No, no, I haven't heard of him. Mm -mm. No. Alex Ramosi is an entrepreneur, super successful now. Anyways, he was talking to, he was telling a story about in the beginning when he had just met his, his now wife at that time, his girlfriend. Um, and he had just blown, like he was doing fairly well, but then like, he had this one Hail Mary business play that ended up blowing up and he lost everything. And he called his girlfriend and was essentially saying like, Hey, like, uh, I'm kind of a screw up. Uh, and I just screwed up again. And I think you should leave me because I'm only going to continue to be a screw up. And she looked at him and he's like getting all emotional as he's, as he's saying this on camera. And he's like, she looked at me and she was like, I'll sleep with I'll sleep with you under a bridge if it's necessary. Allison and I never had that exact thing, but she has been that piece that has like been by my side that has like been my biggest advocate and believer along this entire journey. And I think doing what I've done or anybody that's done anything it is so difficult and next to impossible to do if you don't have that soldier with you. Um if you don't have that person like Going through life solo is like, that's a, that's hard, bro. <laughs> that's hard. And so I think she's been that huge piece. Um, 
And that's the kind of thing that like, those are the things that help push you back in that line so that I was able to do the, the things you're talking about, Pedro. So I credit her. <laughs> Well, I I keep, I always contemplate my great my, <laughs> I keep contemplating whether or not I ever want to get married again, or if I ever want to like have a family. And I keep going back to like mm, I don't know. I kind of enjoy this this you know um, I, don't, I guess independence, but like yeah. there's times where I'm just like God, I, like having a partner. I like my parents are still married and they ran a business together for over 40 years and like i look at them and i look at like you know what you and allison have built and i'm just like wow that that's like something really like special and it's not easy and the fact that like like i said like seeing my parents have a successful marriage which has not been easy and running a business together is like insane to me like the thought of working with your significant other seems insane to me and the fact that you guys can do it i'm, I'm sure you guys drive each other crazy because that's just how it is but like i'm I, that's like very impressive to me like in this day and age i know i sound we sound like old saying like oh in this day and age but like being able to work with your partner kept, is kept not that all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's not something that's very common right the the working together part I mean, that did not come easy either. Uh, I mean, uh, there were many uh, difficult times, especially in the beginning. I'm a very unemotional person. Um, I can easily separate work and home. Allison, uh, she's gotten extremely good at it now, but at first she was not. Like, I would, you know, get upset with her at something totally work-related, and I would be fine to go home and then have a normal home life. And she was not able to create, she was like, you know, why are you mad at me? And, um, and it just took like conversations over time uh, to, to, to try to, you know, help her create that line of, you know, work and home. And I'm not, again, who knows if everyone's able to do it, but fortunately she's been able to. And so we work extremely well together now. And it's because we're able to create that, like, uh, you know, a thing at work, does not affect the home life at all. I was just going to ask, um, just so clarifying. So you guys opened the gym together. Like she, you guys have been doing this together the whole time. Yeah. Te- yeah. Technically since day one. So when I was a trainer, she worked for a company called Murad, mm-hmm. uh, and did like marketing or something like that for them. Uh, and then when I made the decision to finally take the leap and open up the gym, she was like, well, can I come with you? Can I do that too? Can I quit my job and, and can we do it together? Uh, and so the answer was yes. And so, yeah, she's been there since day one. That's awesome. I imagine those conversations about, you know, kind of separating work from home and communicating, I, I'm sure that's helped like your marriage as well, just to be able to like have those conversations yeah. and mm-hmm. dive into like what works and how to communicate with each other. Absolutely. So Tony, one one other aspect that, um, I'd love to talk about is, you know, you've built this community within your gyms. And um, one thing that really cool thing that Tony does and Allison do is they have these challenges. Um, I'm probably describing it wrong. So I'll let you kind of, you know, talk about it, Tony, but they have these challenges where, you know, you, you compete over a certain amount of weeks and the winner wins X amount of thousands of dollars, which is like such a cool, great incentive. You know, there, there's so many aspects to, that gym it's kind of it can kind of be like you know a company an organization it could feel like a high school or a college at times um so i love to kind of hear about you know how you kind of 
have fostered that that community within your gym. So it's funny, and and I obviously saw the, you know, when you sent over the, you know, here's generally what the topics are going to be about, and I saw that uh, line about the community. So it's funny you bring it up because it's something that I've thought about in the last five to six years, and I really hate the word community. And I think it's because it's so overused, um, and it 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 just feels like it's it has lost its like meaning over time. The idea of culture is uh, and a belief system is how I like to look at it beyond community Um, because a a culture and a belief system is what continues no matter like what group of people end up leaving. Like the, the, the culture is, is set in stone. The belief system is set in stone. And so that whoever comes through that revolving door, so to speak um, aligns with those same belief systems. Um, And as far as the, the challenges go, I, I think what it does, um, I think there's two pieces to building a, a really good culture. Um, it's, it's, it's top down. Um, and you have to find the right people like, like, I know I'm kidding, getting off topic a little bit, but I had someone ask me this the other day. They're like, I've been to a ton of other gyms. I've been to Equinox. I've been to this, I've been to that. And I've never been to a place like this where everybody is awesome. Like from the front desk and them knowing you, knowing your name, but to like, also like just the other random people that I see in class or I see in the gym, everyone's saying, everyone says hi. And it's the antithesis of like your standard toxic gym culture where you got like, you know, your, your, I don't know where it's just not as welcoming. Right. And we don't allow any sort of negativity like within when we hire our staff and how we like, like the 10 commandments that we have in terms of like how we treat each other and how we treat every single person that walks through the door, like reinforces that culture so that the members who are there also then just reverberate that exact same philosophy um, and enjoy being a part of it. And then that just filters down and creates that environment of like just inclusion, so to speak. Um, and then I think those challenges, when we do them, just reinforce it. Um, because ultimately the gym is like one of the most intimidating places on the planet for the vast majority of people. And so our goal is to make, and yet everybody knows they need to go do it, right? But they're just scared to do it because it's intimidating and they feel out of place or inadequate. And so our entire philosophy is about how we create an arena through just like a culture of positivity and, and, you know, unification, whatever. So. I love the idea of creating a culture versus like community, because it's also something that will just like, it's, it's not dependent on like who is in there. Like you've created a culture where someone can enter and feel it automatically versus like a community might even feel like an added layer of intimidation. I can imagine. Yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Like, and that's, that's kind of what I was meaning by like the ancestral nature sometimes is like, sometimes a community can become clicky. Right. And so then Mm -hmm. who's allowed in that circle or not in that circle. And so if it is just a a broader culture that exists, Mm -hmm. then you don't have that potential for that 
clickiness or that, you know, exclusion. This actually reminds me of like in the corporate world, there's been a lot of talks, I'd say over the past like two years of using the word family when you're talking about like a corporate job, which is actually Mm -hmm. has like a negative connotation now because like we're, you may, you can like the people you work with and like you might have executives that are calling it a family, but at the end of the day, when there's, you know, a recession or there's, you know, business isn't good. If they need to cut somebody and they need to do layoffs, like you're not a family at the end of the day, unfortunately you are you're not family anymore. Just that you're just a number and they're going to, you know, post your job, you know, you know, let's say times get good. They'll, they may fire you and then they'll post a job a few months later. And like, there's no loyalty there. And I, I learned that the hard way. Like I was always so loyal. Like, you know, my, I spent 16 years at Disney and I was like, I can't leave at this point. Or like, I, you know, I'd look for other jobs and I always felt guilty, like leaving. Cause I, I didn't want to like leave my boss hanging at the time. And like, the word family now within the corporate world is just like so not relevant anymore because unfortunately like they'll drop you in a a heartbeat you're not family going back to your book um uh, i feel so special Uh, tony sent me an advanced copy i've always wanted to be one of those people that gets like an advanced copy of something (laughs) you know like i'm like oh i feel i feel so important you know so uh tony sent me his book and i was i was flipping through it um this week and there's a chapter that um is uh called uh embracing the suck and that's something that isabel and i have kind of talked about um in kind of producing this podcast and just like learning how to deal with you know if you're gonna make something just put it out there like don't worry about it being perfect you just have to like move forward do it and you know and let it ride and um so that kind of, that embracing the suck stood out to me uh, and i'd like to for you to kind of go into that i'm like you know what do you mean and what does that mean to you I think so many people are afraid of, you know, not looking cool, looking bad, you know what I mean? To significant others, friends, family, whatever, you know, your viewers. And so we're so like, we, we become crippled to like do anything. And, uh, there's actually, uh, like an analogy I make in the book of like, it, it's weird because I look at it like when we're kids, we like the thing that drives us to act when we're children is the excitement of whatever possibilities lie on the other end of whatever it is we're doing. So we get on a bike and we fall over a thousand times. uh, And yet we're still willing to get on that bike no matter how many times we fall over because the possibility of learning how to ride that bike is the thing that drives our actions right? Not the fear of failure, not the fear of scraped up knees or hurting your ankle, right? Like the idea that like you want to be able to ride this bike. And I think we do that over and over and over again. And then yet, and then at some point, right, at some point in our life, and I don't know exactly when it is, we begin to like, we get older, right? And we start to realize consequence. Uh, We start to realize like, wait a minute, like, I might break my ankle or I might scrape up my knee or I might fall off and look stupid, um, whatever it is. And then you stop doing those things because you be now the fear of consequence ends up driving your action versus the fear of not being able to do something. How do we get back to that? How do we get back to how we operated as kids? How do we get back to 
operating under the framework of, of possibility versus consequence. And sometimes you're, whether it's, you know, putting up podcasts, uh, or Instagram, you know, and if you're trying to build a TikTok audience or Instagram audience and you're like, Oh, the lighting doesn't look good or this doesn't look good. Or am I going to say the right thing? And so then you end up just like waiting forever for it to be perfect and then not doing it rather than like learning along the way, getting better along the way, getting those scraped up knees, and then ultimately riding the bike at the end of the day. And so it's just, that's generally what that chapter is about is like embrace all of those things that suck, all of those things that make you feel uncomfortable, all of those things that you're scared of or nervous of, or you think you're going to be made fun of because of it, because those are the only things that lead to being able to ride the bike. Uh, like when you were a kid. Do you kind of go through in that chapter, like how do you even get to that realization? Or like, where do you start if you want to be more like that? You know, it's Allison, right? I think it's, it's who you are around. If you are, uh, here's a very uh, real life example of your guys's interaction. If Isabel, you weren't pushing Pedro to just look, we're fine. Just post it. We'll be okay. We'll figure it out as we go. Would Pedro do that otherwise? Or would he be sitting there trying to wait for perfection? And so even in the small instance of like you pushing him forward, like the more Pedro is surrounded by people who are like, we'll push him to do those things. He'll do them. If he's, Mm -hmm. if Pedro's surrounded by people that are like, no, 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 let's wait. Let's wait till it's perfect. He's going to wait till it's perfect. Then nothing would happen. Nothing would get done. (laughs) Nothing at all. We'd have a bunch of drafts on our laptop that wouldn't get published. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so it's, it's that with everything. It's, it's the answer to, how you do that is you, you have to, and he, I think this is, it's the most important, but it's, I think it's also the most difficult. And I, t- again, I talk about it in the book, mm-hmm. but you have to surround yourself with people that are going to force you into that scenario. You have to surround yourself with kids that are going to for, like, that they're not going to make fun of you for when you fall off the bike, that they're going to mm-hmm. be like, Hey, get up, Johnny. Like, let's go again. And they make you get up again and again and again. Uh, and it's just how we do that in the adult version of that in the real world. And I think the, that's, that's what has to be done. I think the difficult part is most of us aren't surrounded by people and like innately automatically that are going to do that for us. Mm -hmm. And so you have to consciously seek out people that, that will be those types of people that are going to like help push you, help push those boundaries a little bit. I think that's the most difficult part, but you have to do it. And also trying to be that for other people, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. I get it, guys. All right. I get it. I get it. I'll start, <laughs> I'll start putting more stuff out. Stop getting in my head. Um, cool. So so one thing, uh, Tony, that we also, you know, like to embrace on this on our podcast is being vulnerable and um that's something that has been tough for me. I'm learning how to do it a little bit more. I think just, you know, um, in my family, it's not, you know, talking about your feelings isn't something that you normally did or telling the people around you that you love them um, isn't something that I was kind of raised with. Um, and, you know, that's something we're, we're trying to, we try to, you know, advocate for when we're talking to people. 
Um, and there's there's a topic I, I kind of want to talk to you about, which I know is, um, you know, can be a sensitive topic. Um, and I think it was earlier this year or maybe last year, um, one of your you know best friends and um, employees who uh, I think was probably with you, I think since day one, um, unfortunately passed away um, due to an kind of unexpected illness. Um, and, you know, in my my, you know, 18 year career, I've dealt a few times with kind of grief in the workplace and losing someone that you work with that you see every day. And it's such a it's, a it's a tough thing to kind of, you know, try to focus on your work, but still dealing with, you know, somebody that's been a part of your everyday life, you know, not not be there. Um, and I'm just really curious kind of how you've dealt with um, kind of dealing with grief, not just yourself, but the other employees at Afterburn Fitness um, and how you guys are kind of dealing with not getting past that, but just you know, working, working towards how to, you know, um, live your life, but still, you know, um, giving, you know, that person the respect that, you know, they deserve now that they've, you know, passed. You know, Pedro, I'm, I'm not a whole lot different than you. Uh, I don't, I think I also grew up in that, grew up in that same type of household uh, with a father uh, who was, you know, not emotional was, you know, not a lovey feely guy. I mean, with me, yes, but not in terms of like, he just didn't show emotion. Right. Um, and so that's how I was raised. And I think I'm, I'm probably similar to you. So I have a little bit of like a, a harder, you know, outer core for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, to the point where my wife is like, <laughs> she, she almost is like, you know, uh, like trying to push me to be softer. She's like, do not feel emotion. What's wrong with you? Cry, Tony. Just cry, <laughs> please. Just cry, Tony. Do something. Um, she's like, show me you're not a robot. Um, and, and and so she's, you know, she helps me with that and just being like, okay. I, I don't think it's something that's like in my nature to um, be overly emotional. Um as far as specifics with, with Jason, it was like shock, uh, because obviously I was wrong. Everything first started to unwind. My initial thought was he's 36, 37. He, he's healthy. Like he's going to be fine. Right. Like, like, you know what I mean? You're like that. That was my thought. Mm -hmm. He's going to pull through. He's a, he's also kind of like that hard exterior. He's a tough son of a bitch. He's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And so I literally, because it was a long drawn out process because over, because the whole thing was from basically caught, it was literally New Year's Eve through, um, you know, sometime in February, I think he, he finally passed. You, I started to become more open to the idea of like, wait a minute, something isn't right here. Like this, this is not how this should be going. Um, and I don't know if that gave me an opportunity to accept it more. I don't know. Um, you know, the first thing I thought about when he passed, when I got the news that he passed, and I ended up getting shit for it, um, was I, the first thing I thought about was all the staff, because, you know, he was obviously one of my extremely good friends, but he also had just a really close relationship with a lot of other people. And so the first thing I thought of when I heard the news was I reached out to every single one of our staff members and was like, hey, who needs like the day off tomorrow? 
kind of a thing. And then I posted that, you know, the gym was going to be shut down because, you know, in honor of somebody passing that was close to so many people, blah, 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 blah. And then I ended up getting like all kinds of flack from like uh, one of the girls that was like really good friends with her is like, cause like I shouldn't have posted that anyways. Um, oh, but no. you do what you think is right in the moment. And what I thought was right in the moment was to make sure that my employees had, had time to grieve and time to think about it. Uh, however they needed, however they felt was appropriate. And, uh, I think the hardest thing for me is not so much losing Jason. It's thinking about his wife and his two kids that are now without a father. I think that's the hard part is like, obviously I mourn for Jason to think about his wife. We went Mm -hmm. over there and visited her. I don't know. It's probably a few weeks ago now. Um, and just hearing her story, uh, about how everything happened and, and that's, that's the hard part right? Is because you now know there are two little boys who are going to go up without a father and she is still like distraught. Like that's the really hard part uh-huh. is, is not me, not, I mean, yes, the, 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 the staff, but less so them even, but like his wife and his kids, like I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine yeah. what that would be like. And so, and so maybe that, maybe that's my, my, my key is that like, I still have perspective like, yes, I grieve, but like all I, I think about however sad I am or however sad these other people are, it is nothing compared to the what they have to go through. And so I think it like maybe softens that blow a little bit for me because I'm like, hey, don't be a little bitch because you are fine. <laughs> like she is the one who's suffering. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can make your decisions like as a leader based off of, of that, you know? Yeah, ex- exactly. You have to you know, I would imagine it's not a whole lot different than, you know, if you're the, the, whatever, the, the, the father of a family or the strong person of a family and like some sort of tragedy happens, like you have to be the one that says like, Hey, whatever has occurred is awful, but we're going to be okay. And we're going to move forward and we're going to make it. And so I had Mm -hmm. to be that or the, the, the company and for everybody else, you know what I mean? So you don't you don't yeah. get to grieve as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no grieving for you, Tony. Uh, I know we covered a, a a fair amount of topics today, and uh, I just want to thank you for for opening up and and talking to us a little bit about your book, which uh, I'm super excited about. And I don't know if there's anything outside of your book you want to plug, or you know your accounts, um, or where where people can can find your book. Yeah, uh, no, you can go to. It is still in that uh, pre-release phase. Um, but you can go to TonyVelasco.com. Uh, it should be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble uh, within the next couple weeks. Uh, but as of now, you can go to TonyVelasco.com. You can pick up your copy there. Uh, fear, regret, not failure. Instagram, it's just my name. It's Tony Velasco underscore uh, on Instagram, or it's uh, Mindset underscore Tony on TikTok. Uh, those are probably the two best places to follow me and afterburnfitness.com or at fitness.com. Afterburn Fitness is the, is the gym's Instagram as well. And Tony's, uh, two locations are in, uh, Santa Clarita and Valencia and Hermosa beach. So there's a, uh, for all you South Bay shorties, check it out. Thank you so Thanks, much. Pedro. Thanks Isabel. I appreciate you guys having me on. Have a good one. You guys.